Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 180 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Canadian Grand Prix from Montreal, Canada. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and it is nice to be back in North America for the Formula One Championship. And Canada is usually an exciting race with usually lots of... with yellows and craziness. Yeah, dramatic uh, dramatic passes and things. And we had a few things today, but it was, you know, not the most exciting of races, I would say. It was not the most. It was not the least exciting race ever, but it was closer to that than the most exciting, I would say. And it's really a shame because Canada's baseline, its average is way high. Usually Canada's one of the crowd favorites... And, uh, you know, televised television favorites as well. There's just lots going on. There's more passing generally. There's uh, more differences in strategy with tire. And there's more, I guess, confusion that can really just add a real nice spice. The McLarens don't usually retire. (laughs) We had no yellow flags. That's a rarity in Canada. We had... You know, pretty clear separation amongst the leaders. And we got lucky in the sense that two front runners, uh, Sebastian Vettel and Felipe Massa, started in the back because of qualifying woes. So they added some elements of surprise. We had one mistake from Kimi Raikkonen that shifted things around just a little bit. Which was, yeah, which is a repeat from his same mistake last year. But God, it was. Quite straightforward otherwise. Um, that being said, it was a quick race. and <laughs> <laughs> well, It wasn't like four hours like that one year when it was uh, all rainy, rain-soaked and whatever. Yeah, and, I mean, it so- does, and it does play into some things. You know, we have, you know, Honda announced a big engine upgrade coming for Canada. That worked great. Right. And some things to talk about. Anyway, please lead us off. What, where should we start? Well, so Lewis Hamilton, um, we'll start at the top. So obviously won today's race, uh, qualified on pole uh, before that and had a crash in practice, but that didn't really mean a whole lot. Um, but, you know, everyone kept wanting to bring up Monaco and Lewis just kept wanting to put that behind him and, you know, which makes sense to do so. So um, it's like, oh, what about Monaco if you had to do this again? Or what about this or that? Or who made the call and why is this? Or do you need this vindication or whatever? And Lewis is basically like, okay, let's move on from that. And then people say, okay, yes, but what about Monaco? (laughs) Okay. So, you know, good news for him, obviously, is that uh, he, you know, qualified on pole and won without any controversy, really. Um, You know, so it's not like, oh, well, you know, Rosberg got out of your way because this was payback for Monaco. And what do you think about Monaco anyway? Like, yeah, with and with, I mean, yeah, even the podium interviews after the Montreal win. It was like, hey, this wasn't Monaco, right? And right. Like, and Lewis, nope. you have to say, handled that pretty well because he's like, so did you need this after Monaco? And, and it was like, well, you know, after Monaco, is this enough to whatever? And he's just like, I love Montreal, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk about this race. Let's talk about Montreal. Exactly I don't even want right. to say, I'm not even going to address that portion of the question. And then it was it was Ted Kravitz. And after that, he's like, yes, but what about Monaco? And he's like, you know, he just like kind of goes to the fans like, did I need this? And he goes, yeah, everyone's all happy. So uh, yeah, you know, it was it was good to see him back, uh, back doing well. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, Ted Kravitz. Kravitz did push Rosberg a little bit as well, who, of course, came in second, uh, saying, oh, yeah, it's just another second place. Like, why aren't you better than this? And he's like, <laughs> well, I didn't. And he's just – and Rosberg's answer was that it you know, was all in qualifying, that he, if, if he had qualified first, he says, um, that it would have been no problem to win the race, which uh, maybe uh, so, I mean, maybe I not. I mean, that's a little Canadian bit of a – The Grand Prix is the least true of all the Grand Prix for that. Right. So eh, I'm actually a little skeptical of that. But, you know, Rosberg was – Less whiny than average. So really, I'm not going to complain about him too much either. Right. And then we had Valtteri Bottas on the podium in third 40 place. 40 seconds behind. Right. And we hardly saw him the whole race because it was like, like you said, everybody got really well spaced out. And with yes. the safety cars and with just the track and the pace being what they are, um, we hardly even saw him on screen. And it was like, oh, holy crap, he's on the podium. That's great. Uh, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that, that's effectively it. I mean, he drove brilliantly. He drove brilliantly well. He had pressure from Kimi Raikkonen, whom made a mistake to be behind Botas in the first place. And Botas answered all the demands, uh, all the requests of his engineering team, kept Raikkonen, what was it at the end, still six seconds behind him, and five and a half, five, okay. But still, kept him well behind him, and 
got his first podium of the year, and I believe the team's first podium of the year as well. Yeah, I'd have to confirm if we've had uh, yeah. Moss on the podium or I not. I don't but think so. I mean, Ma, he is, and jumping in for both, a little bit more about Botas, he is now 10 points clear of Felipe Massa in the Drivers' uh, Championship. And that is despite the fact that he did not compete in the Australian Grand Prix. We've talked about that before. So he is just continually being very consistent and solid. And I would say quite quickly becoming the new Iceman. You know, Kimi is thawing a bit when it comes to that type of behavior specifically. Well, when you look, and Botas is taking it up. When you look at Kimi's age, though, I mean, that, that's... I knew it. Like, I knew that was coming. It, it's just... He's that, just so young. He's just and losing he's just his mind. so much I don't know if spirit left. Yeah, he's like he's like a little puppy that's just so excitable. I agree. He's still really young. It's kind of like a senile thing, perhaps. He's like, Lo- loss of focus. I just... I, I, it continually shocks me how little he ages. Mm. He's just... Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, the oldest man in Formula One, the only one older than you still. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, with uh, – I, I agree. I mean, Raikkonen, obviously, he had his spin after on the outlap um, after after The outlap stop. of his pit stop. Right. Yeah. And as I said, you know, it was the same thing that happened last year. And there was an interview about it, and he just sort of – yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. It's the same thing that happened last year. It's, uh, it's not optimal. Yeah, it was but, almost like he was yelling at himself – Via the proxy of Ferrari engineers. Yeah. He's like, why didn't you tell me about me this time last year? Why don't you build a car that doesn't do that? Because I'm going to drive my outlap the way that I do. And if your car spins, that is your fault. My road car has stability control. What's the problem here, yeah, guys? His La Ferrari, La Ferrari, I'm sure, you know, has all the greatest stability control in the it's world. It's Ferrari, La Ferrari. Yes, not well, La Ferrari. But La it's Ferrari. but if you're speaking of it in the definite article, it is the Ferrari, La Ferrari. So you could translate that to La Ferrari, La Ferrari. It's like the Los Angeles Angels. It's just don't think about it <laughs> in the one language. It just it goes wrong. It's a weird name for a car. But no, it's, I I I like how we combined hockey. No baseball. Oh, there it is. <laughs> That would be a baseball team. <laughs> and racing. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not the baseball expert like Jim Lau. Jim Lau just loves his baseball. MLB for life. That's, the, that's the one with the puck, right? Or the score goal basket units? Okay. <laughs> no. Well, how many minutes are we into this podcast? Are I don't we, know. Are we a full minute? Can we, can we end this yet? Is there any more to talk about? No. So Sebastian Vettel, though. Okay. So um, finished fifth. And that was that was a great race through the field, and that was after he had um, so Vettel now has points on his license uh, for I think the first time um, after passing a car uh, under red flag conditions in practice. Yes, um, and so that was a grid uh, penalty. I think well, it was a, yeah, a grid stop penalty, um, and then and points on the license. So he started way at the back anyway because uh, he had some trouble in qualifying. No, I didn't see qualifying. So yeah, I don't know no, what, it, what was the deal there? So he had those penalties. Then in addition to that, he had. And I believe a heat unit issue that took most of Q1 to fix. He mm-hmm. came out towards the end of Q1 and in that amount of time could not put a lap together fast enough to get him into Q2. So that was that. Yeah, so not a great weekend for those who predicted Vettel on pole position. Uh, but the fact that he came back to finish fifth is like, that is, you know, one of those great drives that you sort of see like, okay, if someone starts eighth, they don't have as good a chance of getting up there. But like starting, you know, 18th or wherever it was, he was way back on the grid um, just through combination of, yeah, clever strategy and really good driving and so on. Uh, that was an excellent drive. So that was one of the sort of redeeming points of the race, I would say, would be uh, Vettel making his way up through the field. Uh, and, you know, in one case, getting very, very close to, uh, was it Hulkenberg? <laughs> that, uh, um, you know, with the spin and all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, keeping it clean and uh, and moving forward, and had a uh, quick steward investigation, but uh, no further action was taken. So yeah, you know, just moving his way up and uh, and making the moves and doing well. So I have to say, you know, Vettel just doing really well to uh, to do that. But you're talking about uh, Vettel's racing performance does remind me of what excellent qualifying we had. We had both Force Indias in Q3. We had both Lotus Low Tie in Q3. There was some. Genuine shakeups there, and really, you, to see Force India doing as well as they did was the highlight for me. That Nico Hulkenberg was had a car underneath him that he could push a little bit, and indeed, um, if we go down the order just a little bit, uh, Massa finished sixth, but Maldonado was in seventh. 
for Lotus. Hulkenberg was in eighth for Force India. So they both scored points for their teams, kept moving forward. Mm-hmm. And Rogro would have uh, scored some points for Lotus if not for a kind of boneheaded move, in my opinion, or just eh, misjudgment. I mean, it wasn't I mean, whatever. But what, To say that it was specifically all his fault, no. But he was in a position where he was running, if I'm correct, fifth at the time. Mm-hmm. He was having an excellent race, the best one he's had in a while. He qualified really well, and he was matching that performance in the race. And he just got greedy and wanted to tuck back into the racing line super quick after going around a lapped car. Yeah, in this case, Will Stevens in the Manor Marusha. Super silly, super ridiculous. So even if it wasn't specifically Romain Grosjean's fault, and by the way, the FIA, FIA deemed that it was, but even if it wasn't, it was completely silly to just not take a wider berth, give himself plenty of room, and continue about his day. Right. And then so what – I guess why I say it's boneheaded is because after this, uh, and of course this is, you know, he, he cut back in in front of, like you say, lapping uh, Will Stevens, and it cut down uh, Romain's left rear tire, and it broke off, uh, you know, at least half of, uh, of Will Stevens' front wing. Um, but he, but Romain gets on the radio and goes, he hit me! Like, what the hell? And it's just like, no, you know, that that's what bothers me about it. It's not just like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, or like kind of a neutral, like, okay, this happened. You know, he was here. I did my racing thing. You know, not assigning blame, but he was like, he hit me. Like, he came out of nowhere. He's like, no, that's, no I don't no. think that's a fair characterization. He was right there. He was right he there. he stayed there. And he was still there. And you <laughs> kind of cut across him. Yeah. And, and hopefully once, I mean, of course, in the car, it, it looks different. So hopefully once, uh, you know, Grosjean sees the replay, he goes like, all right, you know, fair enough. And maybe he doesn't he has to do a press release about it or anything, but at least kind of like understands like, all right, that's, that, that is what it is. Uh, you know, Stevens didn't, didn't come over and, and, you know, hit Crojan, but, um, to, to immediately kind of jump to that is what rubs me the wrong way that it, that seems like, all right, dude, come on, give that a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Um, but thankfully in this case, it was right in front of pit in. So they both, um, you know, squirreled into the pits right away and, uh, he was able to carry on with his race. Both of them were, um, but yeah, that's so Crojan, uh, and in 10th. And as we said, um, he got a five second penalty added to his time. So, um, um, he was able to hold on to 10th. It wasn't, you know, uh, Checo Perez was farther back, so it was okay. But um, that could have been a really, really good result because they were, could have been, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, you know, maybe 7, 8, something like that, depending on how everything shook out. 5th, um, 6th, 7th with Grosjean leading that. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> anyway, that's uh, unfortunate the way that uh, the way that panned out for them. But, uh, you know, they, they were able to carry on. They, they were. And it is – Part of the reason why Vettel did as well as he did to move up is because some silly things were happening ahead of him, kind of getting themselves out of the way. Another really solid performance we have to give credit to Felipe Massa. He also started way back in the grid. I think he was like uh, 15th instead of Vettel being 18th. Still quite far back, though. And he was able to move up to 6th and show, I would say, that... Monaco was indeed a one unfortunate incident for Williams, and they are back up to being solidly the third fastest team, possibly, if things go their way, encroaching towards being the second fastest team. Behind Ferrari? Just behind Ferrari and possibly beating Ferrari, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because, yeah, uh, you know, it's... It seems like Massa has had some combination of really poor luck, possibly some poor, you know, judgment or occasional, uh, you know, missteps or whatever. But um, it's a little bit hard to say from the outside. But uh, you know, Botas has sort of been, you know, quietly confident. You know, obviously he had the, the back issue uh, that prevented him from starting the first race of the season in Australia, but has still, you know, bounced back to do really, really well. And I'm, you know, in general, less impressed with Massa's performance this year. I think maybe it's uh, it's time for him to uh, to hang up his uh, helmet, so to speak. Uh, for Formula One, at least, maybe you can go play sports cars or something. But um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, Valtteri Bottas, sort of like we say, we hardly even saw him. He was, you know, just quietly, confidently driving his race. Ended up on the podium. Um, is great for him, and it's good to see that the Williams has that pace to uh, to continue to carry on. So yeah, luckily that that Monaco, uh, you know, poor performance really did seem to be an outlier. Um, at the other end of that spectrum, though, I mean, McLaren Honda, dude. Well, actually, I, I I want to get into that, but I want to <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the most suicidal driver on the grid right now. You wouldn't think, Captain Smiley. It's all a facade, apparently. So Daniel Ricciardo finished thirteenth, and a couple, but there's a couple important points here. 
One, that's 12 places worse than he finished last year, so that's one thing. The second is his teammate, Daniel Kafiat, finished ninth. So this is a couple races in a row now where there was a little bit of grumbling like, hey, Kafiat, pick up the pace, and he immediately has. Uh, last time, he literally finished one spot ahead of Ricardo because he was asked to give up the spot to Ricardo at Monaco and then given the spot back when Ricardo couldn't capitalize on that. And now this time, it was solid. You know, Fiat was in the points. Ricardo was not. And Ricardo simply could not explain it. He could not. He didn't understand it. He didn't know anything. He didn't know why. He just was way off and super bummed about it. And he made a joke about... Well, several jokes. Well, he made several <laughs> jokes regarding suicide, which, yeah, suicide as a topic to joke about, that's a tough one. And yeah, so... I think it goes to show that Red Bull is definitely still struggling and that Kafiat has picked up the pace, but also Ricardo is a bit dismayed. And just as one final follow-up to that, Carlos Sainz was in 12th and uh, Verstappen finished uh, kind of in Nowheresville 15th. So Red Bull cumulatively was still ahead of the junior team Rosso, but neither were impressive. Yeah, and I mean, it was uh, you know, it was Will Buxton for NBC Sports interviewing Ricardo, saying, "Oh yeah, well, it can't be that bad, right? You still have a smile on your face." And he's like, "Well, it's either this or crying." Right. And, it, <laughs> and it just got worse from there. Oh, no. And it did look like he was sort of like just trying to keep it together. It's sort of like, "Yeah, I try to stay positive. I'm the smiley guy, you know. I'm, and, you know, that is his genuine personality." But also, it seems like at some point he's just going to be like let out some massive, you know, expletive yeah. word. And the just, emo kid life is pain was not far away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if if Daniel Ricardo's Red Bull racing suit is all black in Austria, we should be we should keep a close eye on him. He's got the black nail polish. Just you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be something. That would be something. Although to be in respectful for Red Bull, it might be more of a bluish purple. Mm. But still, mm-hmm. I think it would get the effect across. So yeah, McLaren. Yeah, so you could you could look at this positively and say, oh, but now it performed Fernando Alonso today, which he did by the virtue of his car lasted longer. Whatever, um, but so he drove it less brakey. I mean, that's it was, not. I mean, that's just brilliant. It was you know one of these things where before I think even on the outlap or the or like formation Yet again, lap or something. By the way, Jensen is the older, more mature, more intelligent of the two drivers. Well, so they're saying like even the drinks bottle doesn't work. You know, it's like it's like what on this car? You know, it's it's one thing to say okay, we've got this car, we're pushing development engineering forward, we're all trying to do these you know great things. So occasionally can you're going to get a failure. Can we go ahead and say that that was not the Honda's fault too? Can we add right? That, please? That's what I'm saying. So it's, <laughs> exactly. So they're, they're I'm defensive of Honda a little bit. Then here. they're talking about like brake problems, which again are not a Honda supplied component, as far as we know. Very, very there true. are some, of course, some you know, uh, Kerr's uh, regen kind of things having to do with brakes that do tie into the powertrain, but still. Um, so they were like, oh, you need to save fuel. You need to back off. You need to save brakes. I don't th- actually, I don't think fuel was a problem. They didn't get that far in the race, but um, it was. It was like one error after another. Uh, Alonzo on the radio, it was kind of hard to understand, but said something about, you know, we look like amateurs out here. Like, he's like, you're making me back off so much. It's like, why am I even doing this? And then eventually like, yeah, good point. Just come on and park it. And then, <laughs> then um, say, why are you doing this? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. We just thought we would just go up and parade around in the back here. Um, and then uh, and then when they called Button in, it was just this message. He's like, yep, on my way. Be right there. Yep, like exactly. this like sarcastic, like, yeah, great. That's just, was just what I came here to do was park my car before the end of the race. So obviously what adds lots of salt, like dumps the salt on, is that this was the race where Honda spent tokens – to upgrade their engine. Right. And Honda was very quick to say, this is not a performance upgrade. This is essentially a reliability upgrade. But effectively, it was a performance upgrade. If they could make it more reliable, i.e. run cooler, they could dial up the performance. Performance isn't something they're lacking in terms of, we don't know how to make the horsepower. Performance is something they're lacking in, we don't know how to manage the heat when we're making the horsepower. And this was essentially a hope to fix that. And Montreal was in the 60s. It was beautiful weather, not super hot. In fact, it was breezy on race day. And 
issues abound. I, I don't know. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton may have been stuffing visor tear-offs into the intakes on the McLarens. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's just like we see these things. It's like, oh, it's just, you know, like to your point, you know, getting McLarens into Q3 and all that. And you're like, yeah, they, you know, we've gotten, you know, at one point at least so far, um, you know, we've had cars through. Um, but it's just there's so every once in a while they look like they're getting closer. And like I say, they've got some points now after Monaco. But then you see a race like this and it's like this should be a pretty straightforward race. And, yeah, it's just tough on brakes, but it's the same for everyone. And it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's got some long straightaways and so on. But like. You know, managing the car. I mean, if the Manor Marushas can get to the end, and I guess one did, <laughs> Roberto <laughs> yeah. Mary just didn't, didn't quite make it. But if a Manor Marusha can make it to the end after all that, um, that it's like the fact that the McLaren Honda cannot is uh, is still uh, it still shows they have a way to go. So uh, we're not sure. You know, yeah, we, but- we're gonna we're gonna sit, turn down the dial a little bit on the claim chowder. We're gonna let that simmer in the background. <laughs> may or may not be ready. No, no. What? Look, I'll remind you. I already got my eighth place finish. And by the way. Well, no, by the way, but I already got my eighth place finish. But more and more, I'm leaning towards blaming McLaren for these woes than blaming Honda. Yeah, you figure McLaren went from, uh, you know, has been building cars uh, for Formula One for decades here. And Honda, it's been a little while and their last effort was not super brilliant. So you figure uh, at the outset, probably the McLaren car is going to be fine. And this, all these problems must be down to the powertrain. In the beginning, the very beginning of testing, it kind of was with some turbo seal failures and some weird things. Exactly. But... Uh, I think you're right. I think the, it's, the the balance is shifting there. Where some of these issues, you're like, oh, so did, is that a Honda drinks bottle exactly? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a small thing, of course. But you right. know, yeah, but not at, even the drinks bottle. I mean, the, the fundamental issue with Honda, as I understand it, is they're having trouble with cooling, and more and more, it might be McLaren's inability to help get flow through the bits that need being cooled. Hmm. That's that's what I'm thinking more fundamentally. And Honda's trying really hard to get around these issues, but maybe the physics just aren't there. Like we need so much air to pass over so many surfaces to cool them off enough, and you're not providing a body a chassis that'll do that for us. Or what I wonder, because of course, um, you know, they have computer design tools for these things is if like some part of their modeling was just incorrect about heat transfer, how much, how hot some component would get or how, uh, you know, how, how quickly something would dissipate or whatever. I mean, some, for, to some extent, you can talk about in some races anyway, uh, you know, the ambient temperature, then you don't, that's, you don't always know what that's going to be. But like you said, we've had some cool races and this one was, was, I think on the cooler side of what it has been in the past. And, uh, and still, we see these unexpected failures. So you wonder, you know, there's, it's not like these are, you know, not smart people here. Obviously, you know, their Honda engineers know what they're doing. The McLaren engineers know what they're doing. But something must not have been either calculated correctly or there's some internal politics about, oh, we need to just make, make this fairing bigger. Oh, well, we can't make this fairing bigger because the fairing is what it is. So I'll try to make this work. Well, it's not right. going to work. You know, like that's how- that's what I feel like is actually the more critical element of the two is that maybe there's an underlying and increasing disapproval of each other that is making their working relationship more difficult. I don't know. That's a lot of assumption I just threw there. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. Yeah. But, you know, I'll go ahead and say this. Their 1990 car probably had more surface, more... uh, space under the bodywork to allow cooling so <laughs> well speaking of the, the working relationship though with honda is you have to wonder with alonzo and button you know they must have known they're signing up for an unknown i mean at the very least you say okay this you know, mclaren honda maybe it's going to be amazing probably not and it's going to be a while before we really get there but i kind of wonder how how patient um you know, you know alonzo and button are going to be well especially alonzo yeah um, with, you know, we know they've got multi-year contracts and Alonzo's talking about, oh, I'm all in my career here, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, we know these things change. And, uh, you know, whether or not they actually have clauses in there that says like, hey, if we're, our cards are breaking constantly and we're always at the back of the field, I might reserve the, the right to quit and go do something else, you know, like, or if just, as we know, with when millions of dollars are in play, somebody can write a check to somebody and all of a sudden what was on the contract is meaningless. So um, that's yeah, what I kind of wonder. Be, that'd be really funny to me if Alonzo does somehow retire that way some of this like like really kind of out like a lamb just kind of like fades away kind of thing this he was a the youngest when he won his championship he was the youngest 
world champion. He was the youngest multiple world champion. Right. And did all these things in a car that wasn't from one of the traditional powerhouses. It was Renault. And obviously Renault was doing really well at the time. But from there, he's always been very highly regarded as a driver at the at very least. But just his decision-making, you know, seems more and more suspect. Why go back to McLaren now? And, of course, it's easy for us to say these type of things with hindsight, which is why we wait to say these type of things. We have hindsight. It's really helpful. Um, But seriously, was it really the best decision? And you could go back to pretty much every race team switch he's made since Renault. His switch to McLaren, was that really the best decision? The switch to leave McLaren, well, yeah, definitely that one. Okay, this the switch to leave Renault again to Ferrari. Yeah, that one was probably pretty solid, right? Right. But really, at one point in time, Alonso said he's going to finish his career at Ferrari. Well, perhaps he should have. Yeah, <laughs> and like you're saying, in terms of a career ending, I mean, that was there was a chance of that for Button's career, right? When it was like. So he technically doesn't have a drive for next year. Uh, maybe he'll show up, and obviously he did at McLaren. Um, but there was that question of was it going to be Kevin Magnussen in the car, and Alonso was rumored for a long time but not confirmed for the longest time. That's right. So it's like it could even be something like that at the end of this year where it's like, well, there's a contract, but then now McLaren has you know, signed up this guy. And it's like if his career ends like that where at the last race of the year or the last of his races, if we don't know at the time that it's his last race and then afterwards it's like, oh, Alonso's not here. It's like – what? You know, that's kind of a lame way to, to peter out. Exactly right. But and then exactly right. I, I imagine, you know, for Alonzo, he seems like a prime Ghana candidate to uh, go hang out with Mark Webber, right? World Endurance, something like that. Um, he's clearly, uh, you know, a big name. He's got a big following. He's got, a, you know, a, a, his personality and everything. So for him to show up in some top tier, you know, prototype team or something like that, um, seems like that would suit him and he can, you know, and have his bicycle teams and all these kind of things. And, and also on. he's a Spaniard and... He's still, you know, the superstar Spaniard. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, what, what's the Spanish MotoGP driver? He's Valentino doing... Rossi? No, no, no. Rossi's Italian. No, the um... oh, what's um... is is it Lorenzo? There's one of the one of yeah. the big big guys. Yeah, yeah. He's Spanish. So they have that, and they have Alonso. Those are the two guys. Well, in Formula One, they have Carlos Sainz Jr., who can kind of take up the mantle. Maybe there is another avenue where Alonso can carry his name and do so in a big, successful team. Yeah, Roberto Mary, don't forget, he's Spanish. Yeah, well, well yeah. You know. <laughs> anyway, the point is, this could all be for not... I mean, let's not forget that McLaren finished eighth in Monaco under Jensen Button. And this could have just been a bad weekend for them. And if you think about it, this and Monza are the two most engine-dependent racetracks on the grid, yeah. on the calendar. So Austria, Silverstone to a lesser extent, but Austria, there's a lot of opportunities where the car won't be under quite so much stress from a purely engine or power unit point of view. So fingers crossed, maybe this is just an isolated incident, and then they are, over time, they truly are improving, and we'll see more results. Who knows? Yeah, so Mark Marquez, that may have been who you're thinking of uh, in MotoGP. Um, also, yeah, uh, Jorge Lorenzo and uh, Danny Pedrosa. There's a bunch of Spaniards in MotoGP. Well, I mean, MotoGP is like the big deal in Spain. Like, their form of racing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're a huge motorcycle country. But, uh, yeah, I think it was the first one. Would you say his name one more time? Mark Marquez. Marquez is just a new phenom in moto. Yeah, man, and... Like, like you say, I mean, I think having um, having some some clarity, I guess, about the future. If if, uh, if uh, you know, there's a I don't know, a press release or a, a, a you know, uh, an event or something, and they're just like, okay, here's the deal for McLaren. Um, you know, because because Jensen Button, it's like you don't want his career to fizzle out either. After you know, it's not it's 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 had its moments. You can say a long, you know, definitely long career. You could say illustrious um, in certain ways. He's world champion. Gonna okay, um, illustrious. But, but if there you read there there it was. Um, but if that also just kind of peters out at the end of a season, and it's like ah, oh, I guess maybe he's not. Oh look, it's Magnussen now, and then Jensen just turns up somewhere else. It's like also kind of lame. So it's like hopefully if that gets be. to that point, then at least you know. Anyway. Although that's been Jensen's career. His entire – I mean like he was with Williams in 2000. I don't even know if that lasted to 2001. I think he was booted in 01 
for Montoya. Yeah. Uh, and ended up at Renault and then ended up at BAR Honda, which became Honda, which became Braun, and that's where it finally came good for him. Then he had some good times at McLaren, and he's been very loyal to McLaren ever since. And I, I think I'm certainly not alone in saying Button is not the reason why McLaren's not performing better. You know, it, it, he has certainly not been put at fault for the results they've had. Right. And, and in fact, he's had the best result for them. Right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, just the question is like, at what point is Button just like, you know what, I'm done with this. <laughs> like, you know, and that that's not, it's not the question of like, oh, they're going to get Kevin Magnuson in the car and he's just going to be amazing all of a sudden and the car is going to be super reliable. I don't think it's that. Um, that would be amazing. But um, yeah, so it's like in, a, in a, an interesting little moment today, just after the race, or just after their race anyway, uh, Alonzo tweeted uh, to Jensen Button a picture of oh, the, the leaderboard <laughs> yeah. upside down. And he goes, is this a bit better? He goes, well, probably depends on how you look at it. And of course, um, in the you know because Alonzo was at the very very bottom in his upside down picture, it's Alonzo on top and then Button. So it's like kind of a, a little you know double little joke about like oh yeah well hey now we're at the top, but that's actually me all the way on top right. because I'm in actual all the week, way at the week yeah it's exactly like when that's so it's 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 fun because they have that kind of relationship that seems legitimate that they can sort of you know joke about it and whatever. But let me bounce back to Alonzo just one more time. Yeah, I would love to hear from our fans. Fans, what do you think was Fernando Alonso's worst team change decision of all the decisions he's made? Which one was the worst? Leaving Minardi. No, wait. Well, okay. So Jim is just putting <laughs> his boat in because wouldn't that because he'd be at STR now and that no that would no, no never mind. Okay, I'm going to say that, and I'm going to get it start off. I think his worst decision was to leave McLaren after a year. Ooh, that's tough though, because who knows how those fireworks may have continued. It on was with... quite contentious, right? But the McLaren was very competitive, and Lewis Hamilton won the championship in 08. Fernando could have been fighting for it, and... but, the, but fighting, I think, is the key word. I mean, if it were, you know, obviously the car was fast, and the team was was rallied around, you know, Hamilton more so than than Alonso. So, in terms of the potential for results, yeah, certainly the the potential was there because they won the championship. But in terms of like a bad working environment or whatever, that seems like it. You know, who knows how would that would have been in the off season, and then you know, carrying on a, a complete second season of that. It's hard to say, you know. Obviously, we will never know for sure, but um, it seems like that could have gotten really, really toxic uh, if, if after the one season, even like the first third of the of the of their one season together. I mean, remember it was you know it was some of these things in, in the U.S. and then or the uh, off season could have cooled everything off and everything was right as rain, and they had conversations to get on the same page and be like, "Look, this is where you stand, Alonzo. We still respect you quite a bit. The car's really amazing. Go have fun." Just, maybe. Well, maybe. I, so that's a reasonable. So, but that's a question to the fans. Which which decision was the worst? Jim thinks that Alonso never should have left Minardi, which would have become the Toro Rosso, the Scuderia Toro Rosso, and uh, who knows what hay could have been made there. <laughs> what hay? <laughs> what hay? <laughs> so anyway, uh, moving on to the drivers' championship, if you don't mind, Mercedes. Their drivers are first and second. Lewis, then Nico, seventeen points apart. Then it's Ferrari. Third and fourth, um, with Sebastian Vettel third, Kimi Raikkonen fourth, then Williams fifth and sixth, uh, Valtteri Bottas ahead of Felipe Massa, and then Red Bull um, with fourth with their drivers seventh and eighth, Ricardo ahead of Kafiat. Only then do we see an actual mix between the teams and the drivers. Grosjean for Lotus in ninth, Felipe Nasser for Sauber in tenth, which. By the way, this is an excellent point to make that Felipe uh, Nasser is 10th in the Drivers' Championship with Sauber. Sauber is, oh, well, it's not as far back as I thought. Sauber is 6th in the Constructors' Championship, although tied in points with Force India, who's 7th in the Constructors' Championship. And after the results we saw today... Force India has hopes to overtake Sauber in constructors. Yeah, it seems to be that way. And of course, uh, Force India had a pretty big uh, presence here. They're only, you know, there's a big Mexican connection with obviously Checo Perez and a lot of their sponsors and so on. They launched a new car in Mexico. And Mexico, some may know, is only two countries away from Canada. There's only one small country in between Mexico and Canada. Tiny little thing. Little one. And uh, so there was, I think, you know, some some uh, more Mexican, uh, like, you know, superstars and, and various kind of sponsors and things happening here. And certainly gearing up for the U.S. Grand 
Grand Prix in uh, in Austin, but then of course for the Mexican Grand Prix, the first one in thirty some years. So um, you know, I think yeah, Sauber Sauber um, started really strong, and it doesn't seem like they've kept up with the development. But uh, man, Force India really seems to be on top of it, and uh, in several in several ways. I mean, the performance of the car has been going well, but also like the you know this is one of those teams that sometimes struggles for budget money, and you know we hear all these scary stories about VJ Malia sometimes, and um, all these things about oh there's you know the team's out of money and this is bad, and it's just a matter of time till the whole thing falls apart, and it's like, oh, this, the things seem to be going properly. Money seems to be moving yes. around, and it's all good. Thankfully, Force India has not had to sell their Norda track. But uh, let's look at the championship. So Red Bull is pulling away just a little bit, uh, 54 points for fourth in Constructors' Championship to 23 uh, with Lotus fifth in Constructors. But look at this, fifth, sixth, seventh, 23, 21, 21 points. Eighth place, Toro Rosso, 15. So... The way Red Bull's driving, they're probably going to be hard to get pushed down the order just too far. But that championship battle for fifth in the constructors is red hot. It is. <laughs> yes. Shake your head some more, sir. I uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm just I'm just thinking about Ricardo and, and uh, you know Red Bull like like you said from going from winning this race last year to um, joking about jumping in the river with bricks on his feet this year it's uh, it's well like, joking we hope right I mean so seriously it was bad it's like you know and, and of course even after especially after Ricardo you know his appearance on Top Gear and just you know it just seems like such a quality dude and we're so excited to be like oh man now he's going to be the number one driver and this is going to be all great totally. and uh, and it's just like to to see him uh, where he is you know it's like. And, you know, that, that whole – the whole Red Bull-Renault, you know, obviously the partnership seems to be really strained right now. I just wonder what the next year, two years, three years – there's all these things talking about, oh, Renault might quit F1 and, you know, what would that – Renault might quit F1, but Renault also might become a factory team themselves. Yeah, it's, it's – Or – It's all over the place. But you have to imagine after results like these uh, that, you know – the boardroom people must be thinking like, oh, should we quit or should we, uh, you know, double down on this? They're like, eh, yeah, maybe we'll just get rid of this. So I don't know. You know, it's just I it's it's a shame because obviously that to talk about, you know, from the highest of highs of four back to back, you know, constructor championships to uh, to, you know, a, a few decent results and like scrappy, like, OK, we're kind of on the back foot here, but we're occasionally getting wins and we still have some pace to really seeming to fall off. Their and last win kind of was in, with Raikkonen in yeah. 2012. I think it had to be right. Am I or maybe 2013? Might talking, have been 2013. Are you talking Lotus? Yeah, so Lotus. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm uh, talking about Lotus, but Renault Power. Sure. Um, so anyway, it's just it's. Oh man, but yeah. Of I'm course, talking, Red Bulls. Talking um, about Red Bull Renaults. Yeah, with, yeah. I'm being silly. That's okay. Um, but so especially, I mean, specifically Ricardo, and then of course you know Kafiat, and it's like, oh, he's he's this young phenom. And they're sort of like, oh, maybe he's not so good, and he seems to be responding. So if that, you know, if if Renault, the engine manufacturer, um, you know, does does back out of Formula One, and you know, either Infinity doesn't do an actual sort of Nissan thing, and you know, make their own engines or whatever, just it, it seems like it really could fall apart, which would just be a you know a, a big shame because that's... I would love to see Nissan build a front wheel drive Formula One car. I mean, it would be. <laughs> Be fantastic. I was like, ah, that's what I got wrong. It was wrong sport. Ah, it was just, yeah, it's going backwards, but it just somehow works. Anyway, that's, uh, you know, I, I hope things can come together for those guys. I mean, obviously, Mercedes right now is just the top of the heap and, uh, and doing really well, both in the factory effort primarily, but then their, their power units working well in other cars. But that's something that Red Bull cannot forget. They were Mercedes for, for four years. You yeah. know what I mean? And really for five. When Jensen Button won his championship in. 2009 by the end of that year red bull was clearly faster right but they just carried enough momentum from their success early in the season to finish it up right yeah it's it's uh, it's kind of wild if you think if you t- explain to someone um it's like so the mercedes team is kind of the braun team which is kind of the honda team but now there's another honda team and they suck and the mercedes team is the greatest team <laughs> like right when and you think the about honda team's mclaren i mean that's, yeah <laughs> I mean, and the Lotuses are Renaults, but the Red, they, they use Mercedes. It's like, yeah, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, it's quite, quite screwy. What I will say, at least there's only one team named Lotus this year. Which, so. which, which one is the Tyrrell? Yeah. Because one of those is the Tyrrell. One of them is. I think it's the Honda. No. And at one point, correct, I don't think Arrows, the Arrows team, was bought by some of the Arrows team is one of them. <laughs> some of them, some one of you. I believe so. No, I mean, some teams have come and gone. They're just gone. But, right. you know, teams are bought and sold and changed names over the years. And Arrows was kind of like the perennial backmarkers in the mid-late 90s, right? Right. And they were bought by someone. I, I almost want to say 
campy, but because there was also uh, Jackie Stewart's team. It was a Stewart. Which that was Red Bull, really. Right, and that's become the Red yeah. Bull. But anyway. Because that was, that was – it was Stewart Ford. Then it was Jaguar. Right. Then it was Red Bull. Yeah, we should really look this up before we go into the F1 family tree. But it's just it's just one of these things when you start thinking about it, um, you know, in terms of teams going up and down and all that. So if it were to, after all that history and all that background, if, if you know Renault and then potentially by extension Red Bull is like, yeah, we're done. This is lame. That's just like what a loss that is, you know, for a, a manufacturer in the sport and an engine manufacturer and uh, fair enough and but all that. So I'm I'm more confident perhaps than others that they will be replaced. Just like teams get replaced. All the time. And who knows? Maybe Haas F1 will be fantastic. Give them a little time. Yeah. But I I don't know. I think you can see in this podcast how little of the conversation has been about the racing action in Canada. That gives you a basic idea of how exciting the racing action was in Canada, which is hugely disappointing because Canada usually delivers great results. So this is this is just a dud. And it wasn't even that bad, but just by Canada standards, it was a dud. Yeah, and also – Oh, and I'm so oh. sorry, Bundy, but I want to point out, despite the fact that it was not the most exciting race, it is clearly a fan favorite. They added grandstands, and all those grandstands were full. Mr. Uh, Mr. Kilt can be very happy to see full grandstands at a Grand Prix, and this is something that I think we should kind of keep our eye on is what – races are really popular with the fans and why and i think canada brings a lot of just fundamental elements to to uh to the grand prix it's near a city center it's convenient to get to but it's not a street circuit it's in it's a it's like like uh like albert park like exactly the detroit right. grand prix in belle isle it's yes. it's a little bit separate from town but it's accessible which is great which is kind of what the port imperial street circuit had going exactly for you. right you know that wasn't really an island as, as much as the north america continent is an island but the um <laughs> uh, you know because it was off the island of manhattan but uh but yeah it's like you know and, and like i mentioned now i was there five years ago um just i was on my honeymoon just after i got married and uh, and we went to that race and lewis hamilton won there as well yeah as i mentioned yeah um but uh it's 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 great you know it's easy to get to but there's fun stuff to do around the track it's you know there's the whole city really seems to embrace the the racing and the drivers and the, the fans and all the nonsense that comes along with formula one uh the city really gets behind it so there's like events and parties and cool stuff happening um but uh but it's all accessible even if you don't know how to get around it's like anyway it's a it's a, a nice race um it's one of the few tracks on the calendar not designed by herman tilka and which is an interesting uh thing if you think about you know how dominant um in terms of one circuit design company i mean obviously there's more than just the one guy now but in terms of one company and sort of their philosophies they keep trying to i think take good sections like everybody wants to put our rouge into a track and kind of just make that work but that's not quite how it works you yeah know? so and if you look at what spa is on its own it's very different than one corner here and one right. corner there and it's the combination of all of it right. that makes spa spa in canada is you know i guess the, the biggest criticism you could say about the track itself is that it's flat um which is sort of in a way good for spectators great, and access and stuff. some of the greatest tracks in the world are flat though i mean silverstone isn't flat flat but it can't be that far it's, it was an, old, it's yeah. an old air base right uh montreal is flat uh, not a formula one race but it used to be it was at one year uh sebring the sebring yeah. international raceway that's flat another airfield monza's not doesn't have a lot of elevation change to it exactly so, even though it's not in some picturesque landscape it's a fantastic racetrack there's places to pass it's unique it has its own distinct style and it has a lot of access for fans but it doesn't lose it's charmed by being right in the middle of a sh- in the city, which cramps a bunch of stuff. So just like you mentioned earlier, I think one potential new track that could bring these elements together, Port Imperial Street Circuit, just like you said, it would be the Manhattan skyline in the background, fantastic access, but yet a really good location for a unique track. Point being... Let's keep our eye on this. Well, and I guess so. The one new surf, new circuit we have this year is uh, the newly refurbished Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City, right? Um, which which is, actually has a big history. That and is a mouthful, no matter how you say it. Um, but uh, 
the Mexican city skyline in the background is is cool. It's as about as accessible as anything. I mean, it's right in the city. It is right close to the airport. Um, there, but it is a racetrack. But it is a racetrack, right? It's a park that closes to people. You know, in the mornings, uh, there's all you know people walking and and you know pushing strollers around and bicycling and everything. And there's you know all these guys. And then the, the guy goes around with a van and says, "Everybody get off the track!" In Spanish, and uh, and then everybody clears <laughs> off the track. And then Does he say and then exactly it's a racetrack. That? Everyone get off the track in Spanish. And yeah, you're like, that's, well, that's well, what how he do says. You get He's off got his megaphone, Spanish. and that's what he says. Anyway. Um, it's it's a lot like East Park. It's not on an island specifically because um, that's not really how Mexico City rolls. It's seven thousand feet of elevation, but um, it is. It I think has a potential. It's a, again a very flat track, but um, the question is kind of how how much the the changes that they've done to the track for this year's Grand Prix. So wait, have you said seven thousand feet of elevation. You mean seven thousand feet above sea level? Yeah, it's way higher. Yeah, ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, is Mexico City seven thousand feet above sea level? Yeah, it's yeah. So that's going to be an interesting point for the power units for the engines. Yeah, which with turbos is less of a factor than but NA vehicles. But then yeah, you can't overcome seven thousand feet. That's, that's a big a, drop. That is some thin air, is what that is. Um, so anyway, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. This Ooh, that could become and some margaritas at seven thousand feet. Oh yeah! Oh, and we're some, going. And some street tacos, man. I'm telling you that. Oh, we're going. I think it's all sold out. But either way, just to go and hang out uh, could be could be worthwhile. That's well, only we'll, only one country away from where we are right now is we'll, Mexico. We'll go to the uh, subwoofer competition that must be happening some months afterwards. If it's anything like Brazil, if it's anything like Brazil, it'll be the same kind of deal. So anyway, um, I I'm hopeful that that will be you know what they've done to the track will make it interesting and worthwhile for current Formula One cars. Um, obviously, the biggest thing is kind of the perotada, the uh, the big oval part of the uh, of the track. And that's Wait, what? It, huh? What the Pedro? Pedro it's oval in Spanish, but that's what they call it. It's the um, that why don't they call it oval? Because that's not a language that they speak <laughs> in that country. Well, why not? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh, we should end up soon, probably. All right, let's talk uh, predictions, and, why then don't we can, we? and then we can wrap it up. Um, so thank you to Neil, the prediction stud Popham, for getting predictions in immediately after the race. This, of course, being in Canada, is only uh, in the same time zone as us, not even one away. Yeah. So uh, uh, you, one of my fears was that oh, our predictions results for our brilliant predictions would not be updated yet. But uh, Neil comes through as always, and uh, the predictions results are right in there moments after the race. So for the Canadian Grand Prix, number one predictor – me, number two predictor, you actually tied for first place with <laughs> so zero points for you, zero points for me, zero points for many, many, many of our friends. Um, it was 67 folks that predicted Hamilton Hamilton for the Canadian Grand Prix, and all of you, including us, were correct. So, congratulations, big round of applause for yourselves, pats on the back all around. Uh, Damien, the simple predictions heuristic model, thought that Hamilton would be on pole again from the same as last time, which he was, but that Rosberg would win the race, which he did not. So, Damien uh, was tied for 68th with all the other people that win either Rosberg-Hamilton or Hamilton-Rosberg, both of which good for one point. Um, honorable mention, our boy Will Carver with the button-button prediction. This time was good for 37 points. That is a lot of points. <laughs> almost, the, <laughs> almost the maximum you can get. Um, and then we did have, of course, all the people that predicted a Vettel pole position um, got pretty well hosed. So there were five folks, or it looks like four folks, uh, that uh, thought Vettel would be on pole, several of which who uh, thought Vettel would win. Um, one Vettel Hamilton, I'm not sure who, you know, I, well, I see right here, Billy Scondiman, uh thought that Vettel would be on pole position, but that Hamilton would go on to win the race. Unfortunately, uh, Billy got 17 points. So... Uh, in the overall standings, um, the whole deal is uh, we've got Nils Erlmo, Erlmo, um is four points, still uh, on his own in first place. And then many, many people, uh, 26 folks, tied for second with five points. And uh, back to the overall results, uh, a Will, Mr. Will Carver defended his honor and said, hey, my button prediction will come good. It will happen. He is he is steadfast in his resolve, and I do nothing but applaud him for it. That is quite impressive. And if he's got a competition, he is again he's beating Alonso. And you, sir, moved up one point to seventy uh, first place Woo! with your twenty four points. Uh, I keep this up, I'll be in the sixties. Yeah, Woo! I'm thirty third. I am one point ahead of Damien, so I have to maintain for Team Human here um, with a. Amazing prediction for the Austrian Grand Prix. So the question is, do I match Damien and say that Hamilton Hamilton is going to happen again or is something else going to happen? Well, sir, I will tell you that for the first time in a long time, I have changed Ooh, my prediction. Really? Yes. You're going button, button. I 
put emotionally mm-hmm. Kimi Raikkonen on pole. Wow, Kimi Raikkonen. But actually put Sebastian <laughs> Vettel on pole. Okay. <laughs> because I just couldn't over. I was like, nah, I just can't. I want Raikkonen to kind of stun and stunt people's um, presumptions about him. He's a presumption presumption stunter. <laughs> I can almost speak that was language. close. But anyway, presumption stunter. I think that there, like last year, there will be a repeat, and there will be a non Mercedes on pole, and that non Mercedes will be Sebastian Vettel. Austria offers the Red Bull Ring is a shorter track, and it is a medium speed track, and this is the type of thing where perhaps Ferrari could match Mercedes just a little bit. However, I am going to go ahead and put Lewis Hamilton to win the race. I am sticking with that part of it. But the fact that I've changed it at all, I'm almost amazed with myself. Well, I think you're putting on a big bowl of presumption stunting <laughs> chowder over the. Dang it! I just that is a that is a difficult uh, combination of words. Not to a say. soup. That is not that, even close. That's to That's not a thing. I'm, you show me a soup presumption stunter, that, and I will eat it. You can't even say it. Uh, I'm sticking ham ham. And on that bombshell, it's time to end this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, please visit funwithcars.com where you can comment on the episodes directly. There's, of course, links to our presences on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can subscribe to the show right there. You can listen to episodes right online if you'd like. Um, also, you can find us with all the show notes for every week's episode or every show's episode um, in the podcast client of your choice um, as well as on the website there at Fun With Cars. And if you do have a chance and enjoy the show, want to uh, write a review for us or put a little rating in there on, on the iTunes store, that's very very helpful for us as well so we always appreciate doing that and well if you know tell a friend if you enjoy the show and think that they might as well tell them uh, oh that's that's a big ask but you know start wherever you want um but well okay all right tell a friend and an acquaintance ah tell there a friend you. tell an enemy and you know then we'll it'll go that way yeah but thank you as always for listening uh you should be here from us in uh in a few weeks time from uh coverage of the austrian race till then i am jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner saying next week is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. We're going to be quite excited about that. You're going to see perhaps some activity, fun with cars-related activity there. I don't know about a podcast or not. Who knows? We're busy with adult things. But 24 Hours of Le Mans, that's going to be a thing that both myself and Jim are going to pay attention to. And I'm going to go ahead and say, go Weber, go Porsche.